We trust that the Lord would have the things on our minds this morning and that they would be of the Lord and that the Lord would bless us with a few thoughts this morning try to cover some very fundamental doctrines of among uh, particularly among the primitive Baptists, doctrines that we readily adhere to and doctrines that we uh, rejoice in. And that is one of those doctrines, of course, is the doctrine of election. And the doctrine of election is something that needs to continually be preached. The Apostle Peter in Second Peter said, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And so uh, even though he said, even though that you know these things and that you be established in them. And so we, we may know about the doctrine of election and we may be established in the doctrine of election, but it needs to be stirred up in our pure minds. Just knowing the doctrine and believing the doctrine, <clears throat> having that and being established in that is a wonderful thing for sure. But if that gets settled out, we lose the joy of it. And so the Apostle Peter says, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So we, though we know these things and though we be established, that's why it is important that we continually preach these precious doctrines, though we know them and though we be established in them. I hope you understand the point I'm trying to make this morning is that we need that to be stirred up from time to time that Yes, we know these things, but that we may find cause once again to rejoice in it. The doctrine of election is is one of the most highest melodious notes on the trumpet. It's a it's a it's a beautiful doctrine when seen uh, biblically, um, and it is, but it is a doctrine that is not uh, liked by many of God's people out in the world. And that would be an understatement to say that, but we cannot deny that the doctrine of election is found in God's Word. And you cannot mix uh, works with grace. The Apostle Paul told us that, and that's like trying to mix oil with water. And so many times I have heard uh, people out in the denominational world trying to um, trying to mix election and predestination also with works and it just doesn't it doesn't work out you can't you can't have them both i was listening to a, a preacher this week on the radio not primitive baptist and and this preacher was right down the line on election i, I mean he was right down the line I mean, he was saying some good things, and he was really giving praise to the sovereignty of God and things like that. And then, as he continued to go on, he began to he began to include uh, having a uh, you know having to receive what the Bible says. And I was like, okay, here we go. And so, having to receive God's word and having to receive Him in your heart, and you cannot you cannot preach election and predestination. And then also at the same time trying to preach man's duty and responsibility. It does not work. Now, the, uh, uh, John Gill was smart enough to recognize this, though he did, though he hung on to both of them and he called it parallelism. He, he said it's like two trains on a track that are parallel. You have a train here of election. You have a train here of duty and responsibility. And, and they, and those tracks never cross. They're parallel all the way down forever and ever. They're just parallel. Well, that, that doesn't explain a thing to me. No. 
that, that they're parallel, so you can just ride any train you want to at any given time, and you know, you're just gonna be paralleling election or you're gonna be paralleling works. They don't mix. So when we see the doctrine of election, oftentimes people are, are, uh, scared, are, are, uh, don't want to, don't want to speak about the doctrine of election, don't want to speak about the doctrine of predestination because it simply does, because you simply can't put a square peg in a round hole. It, it just does not go with man having to make a choice in order to go to heaven. After all, the world will say that God loves everybody, everybody of the Adamic race, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Well, that world is true enough. God did love that world. But He also said, our Lord and Savior also said, in the 17th chapter of John, He says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given Me, for they are Thine. Now the Lord just said in the 17th chapter of John that I'm not praying for the world, but John, but God said He loved the world so much that He gave His Son for that world. They can't be the same world, are they? It's the same world that Christ is dying for, the ones that He's saying, I'm not praying for them. No, when we're talking about the world in God's Word, you have to take it under, uh, you know, the, we're talking about the world of God's elect. We use the same terminology today, talking about the business world, the wide world of sports. Uh, we're not talking about the whole globe and everything within it. It's talking about a particular people. So when the Lord says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. It doesn't say that whosoever will believe in Him. It says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, that is a, uh, a proclamation of what that it gives us comfort that if we believe, if we are in the active uh, position, or we are, or if we are in the active state of believing in the Lord, whosoever believeth, when He says whosoever believeth, go back and read John three sixteen. It doesn't say whosoever will believe. That believeth means in the in today's language is believes. Whosoever believes, that believes is a perfect present tense. That is, the person is in the state of believing right now. Not something that he or she has to do, but it is an evidence if they believe that they have been saved from eternal hell and have been given eternal life by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. And so you have to see that. And so when we see election in the Bible, you can't separate election from predestination nor the foreknowledge of God. The Apostle Peter said, when he was talking in the first chapter of Peter, he said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now when he said obedience and sprinkling of the blood, that obedience is not our obedience. That's the obedience of Jesus Christ. Not our obedience. But he says, elect. What? According in agreement with what? The foreknowledge of God. So when we're talking about the foreknowledge of God, we're not talking about an intellectual knowledge that God had from before the foundation of the world. For being before a foreknowledge, we're talking about a love that He has had for those His elect from before the foundation of the world. And that's why they are their elect. Elect in agreement with the foreknowledge of God. So we see here that election and foreknowledge are brought together. 
We see where election and predestination are brought together. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, according in verse 4, according as He hath chosen us, that's election. According as He hath, according, what's it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And these blessings are in agreement with something. He says, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according how, in agreement with what? According to the good pleasure of His will. Not my will. Not your will. Not the preacher's will. Not the missionary's will according to the good pleasure of His will. So here we see that election and predestination are brought together. So the only thing we lack to show the difference on to show how these come together is show where predestination and foreknowledge are shown together. And we'll see that where? In the 8th chapter of Romans. For whom He did foreknow, He also did what? Predestinate to be conformed unto the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say then? (laughs) See what we have here. What we have here is they can't be separated. God's foreknowledge for us, His predestination for us, His election for us, all speaks of the Sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. Not only does it speak of His sovereignty, and I want to show you here just a little bit how the world seeks to destroy the sovereignty of God, but it speaks of His sovereignty and His mercy and His grace. To say that God predestinated a people to heaven and predestinated a people to hell is absolutely false. God did not predestinate anybody nor elect anybody to hell. God just left them where they were at. We all fell in Adam. We're, we all fell in trespasses and in sins. We're all deserving of the lowest hell. If God elected or chose or predestinated by His sovereign will one person to go to heaven, he would be a just and merciful God. But the Bible tells us that he didn't just elect or predestinate one person. The Bible tells us that there were many, many. You hear people say, you old Baptists are the only ones, y'all are the, y'all are the elect. You are the only people that's going, and no, my friends, uh, that if that were the case, it would be just a, it would be just a few. Because there's just a few old Baptists. I want to tell you, there's a great number of people out there in this world that love the Lord. They may be ignorant of His work and what He has done in these precious doctrines that the Lord has graciously revealed to us, but that does not take away from what God did for them because of His foreknowledge, because of the love that He had for them from before the foundation of the world. 
why did he hate anybody? It's not a matter of why he hated anybody. Why did he love anybody? There was nothing about us that was lovely. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. There's three descriptions in that. In the fifth chapter of Romans, we were ungodly, we were sinners, we were out of the way, there was nothing good about us whatsoever. The Apostle Paul tells us in the third chapter of Romans, in the third chapter of Romans, he says here, in the ninth verse, what then? Are they better than they? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. Every last one of them. All of them. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And he says this, no, not one, in two different places here in this Romans letter. Just in case you got to thinking that maybe uh, you're not included in this description, that or there is a group of people, or there is a nation, or there is a family among this earth that is not included in this description. It includes everyone. Amen. He goes on to say, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. God elected a people before the foundation of the world based solely on His sovereignty and His mercy and His grace towards, towards a people that He loved with an everlasting love. Now, election oftentimes is looked at like this out in the world. After they say that God's begging you to, to become a child of God, well, then election's like this. God just looked down through the annals of time and He saw who he who would choose Him. Well, I had somebody bring up those two arguments with me. And I said, no, wait a minute, you just said He's begging and now you're telling me He already knows. So which one is? Is he begging or does he already know? So why is he begging if he already looked down and he saw what you were going to do? Uh, their, their doctrines will not fit. And so it's a moving target. And so when we see what, when we see this, obviously it takes away when, if we say that God looked down through the annals of time, and He chose those, He predestinated those, He loved those that would choose Him. If we take that stance, which most of the world, that's how they're going to explain election. But if we take that, if we take that stance, we have completely eroded the sovereignty of God. Because the sovereignty of God is no good anymore. Because God's just simply choosing based on your actions. He's not sovereign in anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it'd be like if I saw the news, and I saw a news clip on the, on the news, and I, and I saw this what was happening. Then you came over to my house an hour later, and the news came back on, and, and they were fixing to show the news clip. And I told you everything that, was fixed, that, they, that you were fixing to see. 
You would think one of two things. Either I had ESP and I knew what was going on and I had a special gift or I had already seen it before. You know, I've, I've seen it before. Well, I've seen this before so I already know what's going on, you see. There's no power in that. You see, if God chose you based on your good works, where's His sovereignty? He doesn't have... So he's The sovereignty... Is in your hands. So you are the sovereign. God's not the sovereign. God's just choosing who he saw would choose him. Because he's, he's already seen it. He's already seen the news clip, in other words. He's, he's already seen what's going to happen. So he's, he's just choosing a people based on that. Furthermore, not only does that erode the, um, the sovereignty of God, it just simply isn't true. <laughs> Uh, and in the fourteenth chapter of Psalm, he says, "The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God." Do you remember what what Paul's definite? There is none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Where's Paul getting this from? He's getting it from the Psalms, Psalms 14. So he said, the Lord looked down from heaven. So, you know, the Lord did look down from heaven. People say, no, the Lord looked down to see what you would do. Amen. The Lord looked down. I'll go with you that far. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand or seek after and seek God. What was the conclusion in the third verse? They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Yes, the Lord looked down from heaven and you know what he saw? Not one saw after the Lord. Not one understood the things of God in their natural state, in their Adamic state, because we're all dead in trespasses and in sins. So we can see that God chose a people despite ourselves. He didn't choose a people for hell. He left them right where they were at. Uh, election is not uh, uh, exclusive. Election doesn't exclude anybody. Election is inclusive. It includes a people that John tells us in the fifth chapter of Revelations in the ninth verse where that there was a redemption sent unto every nation, kindred, tongue, tribe, and people. God has a people all over this globe. And people wonder, well, how come the Aborigines? How come uh, these, 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 um, these far off distant religions, how come they worship a God or, or a multi-pluralistic God or a multi-theistic God? How come they're, all, you know, they, they worship gods? I want to tell you, in your dead state, the only thing that you're worshiping is yourself. You are your God. There's nothing that you are worshiping yourself in your dead state. You are looking out for number one. But I want to tell you, when you're born again, when you're quickened again by the Spirit of God, you finally see for the first time that you are nothing and less than nothing and that there is a God that reigns and rules in the heavens. People are, are worshiping the Lord, are worshiping their gods, plural, in ignorance. 
But what has given them that desire to worship a greater creature? It is God in their heart. It is God in them that has given them that desire. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's alright what they're worshiping and what they're doing. I would to God that, that they had the truth. That they had the truth of this in, in their, in their, in their ears. That they could understand that it is God that has been there. It is God that has, that has placed that love into their hearts. And so while we're right here, in the uh, in in the book of Romans, let's go to the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, and we can see in the twenty fifth chapter of the twenty fifth chapter of Genesis. Let me let me go there first. In the twenty fifth chapter of Genesis, I believe it's the twenty fifth chapter. Yes, in the twenty fifth chapter, it says in the 19th verse. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padamaran, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. There's a, there's a lot of contrast between here and Abraham, but we won't get into that this morning. And the Lord said unto her, listen to this 23rd verse, two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And we see that because of the blessings that Abraham gave, gave, uh, uh, Jacob. Or that Isaac, I'm sorry, that Isaac gave Jacob. We could go on and on, but we see here that there were two manner of people. Now we go over here to the ninth chapter of Romans. And he says in the ninth verse, For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah had also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, and it says, For the children not yet being born. Now understand this. that For the children not yet being born, neither having done any good or any evil, that never done any good or any evil, that the purpose of God according to election, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It's not of works. Here we have Jacob and Esau were not even born. They were still in their mother's womb. And yet we see here that there was a difference. There were two manner of nations in there. And it's according, it was according that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And where would that election stand? He's talking about that it would stand in our hearts, that it would stand in our understandings. That it doesn't have anything to do with doing good or doing evil or doing anything like that. In fact, if you went and looked at Jacob and Esau's life, uh, you know, Isaac loved Esau and 
and his wife loved Jacob. I mean, there was there was all, there was conflict already in the house there, and and we see where Jacob was a subplanter. You remember he grabbed he grabbed his feet as he was coming out when he when he came out, grabbed Esau's feet, and and all through his life there, even up to Bethel, we see. Uh, where that he was, that he was um, a subplanter, that he was a trickster, but that didn't have anything to do with his works. He he was Jacob was what the world would refer to today as a mama's boy. He was a mama's boy. You know what Esau was? Esau was a big hunter. He he was a he was a manly man. In other words, you know the world would say it's Esau, not Jacob. Jacob was a trickster. No, I want to tell you what. It's, it's all according to his sovereignty. They neither one had done any good or any evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that called. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. And you can read that further on when you get into Genesis there in the, in the same, I believe it's in the, in the same chapter and even a little bit further. Uh, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated? Jacob have I loved, but Esau, as it is written. Now it's written somewhere. Now the world will say, well that just means he loved Esau a little bit less than Jacob. No, I want to tell you something about God's love. God's love for you, as we've spoke about, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago or so, that His love does not diminish for you. That His love for you is unfailing. That His love for you is particular. That He has a love for you from everlasting to everlasting. And He loves you as He loves His Son. We showed that in the 17th chapter of John. For Thou lovest Me from before the foundation of the world. The Lord has always had set His eyes upon you. There was never a time, dear child of God, there was never a time that God didn't love you because He loved you when there was no time. He loved you in eternity past. You can't say there was a time that He began loving me when you're talking about a love that He had from you before the waves ever clashed upon a timely shore. His love for you has been from everlasting to everlasting. His love for you has not diminished. He's not, as we've said before, uh, always happy with our decisions and the things that we do. He may not love our deeds. He certainly doesn't always love our actions. But he, His love for you has been from everlasting to everlasting. For God so loved the world that He gave His own. Not one, I love one more and I love one a little bit less. You know, that's, that's the fleshly side. That's how we think in a family. Well, I love this one a little bit more than I love that one. That's how we are in the flesh. We're not talking about man. We're talking about a sovereign God. A sovereign God that loves you with an everlasting love. If the Lord says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, then we must conclude that God hated Esau. You say, well, that's just not right. It's just not right for God to, to hate anybody if that's what that means. And that is what that means. And the Lord knew it and the Apostle Paul spoke it in the next verse. You will say then, is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Is it an unrighteous thing for God to hate anybody? Absolutely not. Is it a merciful and gracious thing for God to love anybody? Amen and amen. It is. 
For God to have his love towards anybody is showing forth a merciful and gracious God. Showing forth a sovereign God. Now we said, he says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. We can go over here to the last book in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. And we can read in the first chapter here. This is where as it is written, it is written. The burden of the Lord, the burden of the word of the Lord by uh, to Israel by Malachi, I loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, and who's Edom? That's the Edomites, that's uh, uh, from Esau. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. <laughs> they shall call them the border, they shall build, I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Forever. Now when he says he hates Esau, he means he hates Esau. We can go to many other places. These people say, well, God doesn't hate anybody. Well, in your, in your time, when you get back home and you're warmed up, uh, go look at Psalms 5, uh, chapter 5 and, and verse 5 and, and Psalms 11, uh, chapter 11 and verse 5 and read those and see if it says anything about God hating anybody. It absolutely does. Again, we got, we've got the wrong spectacles on if we're so concerned about Esau that we don't see the love and mercy of God that he has had towards Jacob. It's not why did he hate Esau, it's why did he love anybody? Amen. Why did God love me? Why did God love you? It's according to his sovereignty. He can do according, he is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. It's not up for us. What we can do in that is we can rejoice in that. And three times in the first chapter of Ephesians, in verses 6, 12, and 14, the Apostle Paul stops right in the middle of everything and he says, to the praise of the glory of God, or to the praise of His glory, Says it three times. Rejoice. You know what the doctrine of lecture will, uh, what, what the, what, what a result of the, it will motivate you to worship the Lord. It was motivating Paul to the praise of the glory of the Lord. To the praise of His glory. I want to tell you, the more and more that you see the doctrine of election and how undeserving that you are of His mercy and the grace, the more and more we say praise be to God. For what He has done. And so we need that stirring up in our minds. We need to be stirred up in that. And be, be remember that we are. That you are by the grace and by the mercy and by the sovereignty of God. You are the, <coughs> you are the elect of God. We said here in the 5th chapter of 1st defeat. 5th uh, chapter of, of uh, Ephesians chapter 1 having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, 
according to the good pleasure of His will. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own mercy and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began. Not according to our works. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, when we, ourse- when we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But after this, the love of God, our, sa- our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He hath saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He hath shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you understand? It was not according to our works. It's not according to what we've done, but it's according to His grace. It's according to His mercy. It's according to those things. We can go right back over to... Uh, oh, let's go back. I didn't finish that over in Romans. Uh, in the ninth chapter of Romans. Election declares the sovereignty of God. It declares it. It doesn't destroy it. The world seeks to destroy the sovereignty of God in election. But election actually declares His sovereignty. That He is a sovereign God. That He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stand His hand nor say unto Him, What, what doest thou? We, we, don't, we don't have that power. He said over in Isaiah 49, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, no, that's in the Malachi. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He says, I am God and there is none else. This is Isaiah 49. I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the the beginning and from ancient time the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's a sovereign God. He says here in that ninth chapter of Romans, when we talked about, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. He will say, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said to Moses, listen here, here's sovereignty. Here's sovereignty. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God which showeth mercy. That's right, Brother Ricky. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God which showeth mercy. All to him I owe. If we have a hope of eternal salvation this morning, dear child of God, it's because we have the Spirit of God in our hearts that causes us to rejoice in it. And if we're rejoicing in that, if we have a conviction of our sins and a desire to pray for one another, a desire to pray for ourselves, a desire to uh, to open up God's Word from time to time, a conviction of when we do wrong, if we have those things, I want to tell you what, you are already among the elect of God. I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to hear the gospel to be an elect of God. You don't even have to ever even see a Bible to be the elect of God. I want to tell you, for years and years, there was the Iron Curtain where, where people could not have, uh, could not have the Bible. We're not allowed to have the Bible. 
Did God lose people? Because the, the authorities of those nations decided the Bible was going to be illegal? Did, God lose, did a sovereign God lose people because of man's decisions? That's, not a, very, that's a very weak God. That doesn't hold up the sovereignty of God. goes on to say, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. goes on down to say, in the 21st verse, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same love to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? He's the sovereign. You see, if you're going to preach election, or if you're going to study election, if you're going to believe in election, if you're going to believe in it correctly, you cannot, it will strengthen the sovereignty of God. It will show forth His sovereignty. Not, not weaken it, not, not completely obliterate it like the world does. The world completely obliterate, the world, <coughs> Excuse me for saying so. I'm not against people that believe other things. I'm against what they believe. I'm, I'm not against the people. But what they believe diminishes God to nothing. And that's why, that's why, I, that's why I have a fever. That's why I have a desire to preach the truth and to show the difference. The world will preach a God that has His hands tied behind His back. That has no power whatsoever. All the power is left up into your hands. I want to tell you what, dear brothers and sisters, if that power were left up in my hands and left up in your hands and God's hands were tied behind His back, we'd all be busting hell wide open. Every last one of us. But God's a sovereign God. He doeth according to His will. Job says in Job 23 and verse 23, He is of one mind and who can turn Him? And what His soul desires, even that He doeth. A sovereign God. From before the foundation of the world, elected a people and chose them and predestinated them because of His foreknowledge to be with Him in glory forever and ever despite who we were in our flesh. Despite our corrupt nature. <clears throat> now if you can find me some religion out there that gives greater praise to God, then just go for it than that right there. That it's all left up into the hands of a, of a sovereign God that's done it all. And so we can rejoice in that. And, and we can rejoice in, in, in even those that were under the Old Testament. And, and their evidences. That I was talking earlier about evidences. You remember the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, he said, Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. There you go. Knowing. Paul, how did you know that they were the elect of God? Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost. It came in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. You know, when a man gets up and he preaches, and he's being blessed to preach, and, the, and God is blessing him, he's not preaching to a bunch of dead alien sinners. God's blessing him to preach to his elect, his people. And like I said, he has many. And um, in Romans in Romans chapter five, 
He says in the fifth chapter 5, in the, in the 19th verse, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now wait a minute. There's something interesting here about this fifth chapter of Romans. Because in some places he uses all, and some places he uses many. But the all are the many. Okay? And the many are the all. You understand what I'm saying? When he says all, he's talking about all of his. When he's talking about many, he's talking about all of his. Because when he says here, first by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Well, weren't we all made sinners? I'm talking about all the Adamic race. Well, certainly we were. Didn't he say there in the 12th verse of that same chapter, Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now that all right there is everyone has sinned. <clears throat> so he goes, well, let me show you this. I don't want to get off on another subject, but let me just show you this. In the 18th verse, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Who's that all men? He's going to explain that all men by giving you the other side of the coin. He said, Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. The all men are the many, and the many are the all. You see what I'm saying here? He says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So we understand that all of from Adam were made sinners, but that's not what's under consideration. What's under consideration is what he's fixing to say after that, which shows forth the many. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Who's the many? It's the same many. <laughs> right? I'm completely getting off my subject here, but but I, I just want to bring that forward because it's an interesting dialogue that he has here. It's the same many that were disobedient as the ones that are made righteous. How many is many? Many, you know, people say, well, it's just a few going to heaven. Just going to be just going to be a few people there. Well, he says many here. And if you look at many, it's a greater part of the whole. It's a greater part of the whole. So I can't tell you what the exact number is. The Lord used an example and said it's the stars of heaven and it's the sands of the seashore. Now that doesn't mean that if you could go count the stars, then you would know exactly how many were in heaven. Or if you could count all the sand by the seashore, you would you'd be able to determine exactly how many were in heaven. What he's just what the Lord is saying by using those examples is it's a number that no man can number. No man can number that. But God knows the exact number. God knows the exact number. So we go on and we're looking at this beautiful doctrine of election and we see that the same people, well what about the ones under the, what about the ones under the Old Testament before, before Calvary? Did they, uh, did they have to, you know, abide by the law in order to go to heaven until Jesus Christ died and then after that, they were saved by the law and we're saved by grace. The law doesn't save anybody. 
The law condemns. That's, that's the whole purpose of the law. It condemns us. And we're not under the law anymore. We are under grace. But I want to tell you, those under the Old Testament were saved the very same way that those under the New Testament were saved. It's all in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he brings this forth in the third chapter of Romans. He says, For all have sinned in the twenty-fourth verse in the twenty-third verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be to be a propitiation. Here's the verse right here, whom God has set forth to be that mercy seat, to be that covering for our sins. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Now, whose faith is that? It's not my faith. That's God's faith. God had faith in His Son that He would die on the cross at Calvary. And because of that, all of those pre-Calvary were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, even though it hadn't been shed yet. That's faith, and that's God's faith. By whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins, for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance or long-suffering through the forbearance of God. God was forbearing, waiting on Christ to uh, die on the cross for all those pre-Calvary. So every one of those were the elect of God. They were all born again by the Spirit of God in the same way. And they're all saved uh, by God in the very exact same way. And so we see that there are so many different things that we can do uh, uh, to rejoice, so many things that we can look at and rejoice in what the Lord has done for us. And there's there's one other place I wanted to go to. And uh it's uh, it's in second it's in second Peter. Listen to what he says in the fifth verse. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound. Not just be in you, but if they abound. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Listen to this next verse. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make thy calling and election sure. For in doing this, you shall never fall. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Make your calling and election sure. You never fall. No, we're not talking about falling from grace. We're just talking about falling from the blessed truth of election. We can lose that. Not lose election, don't get me wrong. We, we can't lose that because we didn't, we didn't do anything to get it. And there's nothing we can do to lose it. It's all in the hands of the sovereign God. But what we can, what we can do is we can lose the, the memory of it. We can lose the joy of it. That's why we need to stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. That's why we need to be reminded that election is a beautiful doctrine, 
but it establishes election, predestination, the foreknowledge of God establishes God's sovereignty, his mercy, and his grace towards an undeserving people. God bless you. I appreciate the time. Amen.